0: Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now join us as we dive into today's passage. Well, the book of Samuel, 1st and 2nd Samuel, is during the time of the judges. It's a very dark time in the history of Israel. And there's been a drought of the word of God. But with the calling of Samuel, that drought has ended. And God has spoken through the prophet Samuel and has recently given Israel victory as they repented and depended on the Lord. On their own, they went out to battle in two different battles. They lost 34,000 soldiers in the fight. And we said last week that we see a New Testament equivalent to that. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As these Israelites, they go out to battle and on their own strength, depending on themselves, they lose. Many, many men. And they're defeated before the Philistines. But yet when they repent and they surrender themselves to, to the Lord and they ask Samuel to intercede on their behalf, they're given victory. And in chapters 8. Through 11, Samuel is aging and his sons are not like him and the Ammonites, they're threatening. But during this time, there's under Samuel, there these 12 distinct tribes of Israel. They're coming together and they're being unified as a nation. And so, three things I want to point out to you today. Firstly, is that we need to notice in our text today the worldliness of Israel as is they reject God as king. Now, that's the main point of our four chapters today and we'll spend most of our time here, but Verses 1 through 5. Let's read it together. Page 272, 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel became old, he made his son judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways." Now, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Now, notice they, they want to have a meeting with Samuel. He's getting older. And they have two complaints here in this first few verses. The first one is that Samuel's getting older. We don't fault him for that, do we? We're all doing that, right? The golden years, right? They're, maybe they aren't all they've cracked up to be, right? Heart arrhythmia, basal cell carcinoma cataracts, enlarged prostates, hearing trouble. We could go on and on and on, right? all those things come with age, don't they? All these ailments. So Samuel's getting older. Something's going to happen to you, Samuel. You're not going to last forever. And yes, you're a godly man. Yes, you're God's mouthpiece. And yes, you're our prophet. You're our judge. But you're not going to last forever. The second complaint they have is Samuel You've appointed your, your sons judges, and guess what? They're not like you. And if we look in chapter 12, we did several weeks ago about Samuel, and he told the people, what if I find fault in me? And they couldn't, right? Samuel's a God-fearing, godly man who loved the Lord. He walked with the Lord. He obeyed the Lord. But his sons, they don't. In fact, it says they took bribes and they perverted justice, the Scriptures tell us. They gave justice to the highest bidder, which means they, that's what it means to take bribes. They gave justice to the highest bidder. They were greedy. And instead of these rulers, these judges being a blessing, they're becoming a curse to the people. And it's interesting. We saw this prior to Samuel, didn't we? In Eli, the high priest who Samuel grew up under. He had two sons, didn't he? Hophni and Phinehas. And they were pagan, godless as well. But it's interesting. Samuel, he's not blamed like Eli was. He's not found to be faultful in that, and that's, that's interesting, isn't it? God, he doesn't have grandchildren, does he? We see this godly, godly man, Samuel, is prophet who walked with the Lord. God's desires were his desires, but yet his sons didn't walk in his ways. We see that time and time again, don't we, in the scripture, and sometimes that's because of our fault. That's our fault, Right? as Christians maybe we're not teaching our children the ways of the Lord maybe your children don't they don't know the bible they can't even verbalize the gospel and your children say that the books of the bible do they know where when i say first samuel do they know where to go in the bible can they can they find that in the scriptures sometimes we're at fault aren't we but sometimes we're not i mean you know godly parents people who love the lord they follow the lord they Do the Lord's work. They share the gospel. They read the scriptures. They fast and they pray, and yet their children are wayward. We see that time and time again. So Samuel here, he's not blamed for his sons being not like him. And so what do the people do? They say, you're getting older, you're going to die. And your sons, we don't want them leading us. We don't want them judging us because they're godless. So what do they do? They ask for a king. They want a man to lead them. And notice how Samuel takes this look at verse six but the king but the thing displeased samuel when they said give us a king to judge us and samuel prayed the lord and the lord said to samuel in verse seven obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you for they have not rejected you but they have rejected me from being king over them they wanted a man to lead them samuel he takes it personally right he's their leader he's judging them and leading them but god says They're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me. And so the first thing we have to notice is that they're rejecting the Lord. And it wasn't that having a king over Israel wasn't part of God's plan. In the scripture that Kayla read for you in Deuteronomy chapter 17, it tells us that when when the people enter the promised land, in Deuteronomy, God says, they may indeed set a king over Israel them whom the Lord your God will choose. And the Lord goes on, as Kayla read, the qualifications for a king. So having a king is not out of the question. It's not out of God's will, but I think the issue here is, is, is the timing of it all. I mean, Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, when Jacob's blessing all his sons, he gets to Judah and he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. So God had in mind a king for his people, but what kind of king would it be? Notice they didn't ask for a king that loved God. They didn't say, Lord, give us a king that loves you. They don't ask for a king that will remind us continually of your law. They don't ask for a king who has wisdom from God to lead us in a way that pleases the Lord. They don't ask for a king like that. No, they wanted to be like the nations. In a sense, they wanted to be like the Joneses. How did the pagan nations choose a king? Where whoever's left... After the fight's over, that who, that's who become king. Oftentimes, you would have a king, and he would have many sons, and all the sons, they would just have a battle, battle royal, if you will. And the last man standing, that was the man who became the king of the nation. And they also liked people who were very handsome, very prominent maybe in their culture. They wanted a king, they wanted a man to lead them a man just like the other nations have. And this isn't the first coup attempt. If you remember in in Numbers chapter 14, after they spied out the land, they decided not to enter the promised land. They didn't want to enter the promised land. They didn't trust God to give it to them. And so many of them spoke up and they said, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So this isn't the first time that they rejected the Lord and wanted someone else to lead them. But the timing's a problem. So as we read through the The scriptures, the Old Testament, the story of redemptive history, we see God mentioning a king, mentioning a king, mentioning a king. And we know that having a king is part of his will. But they wanted a a king, and they wanted him now. They don't want the Lord to lead them, but they want a politician with a political system. They wanted a king like a, a figurehead that would bring honor to them. But the Lord wanted to give them a leader who would honor God. They wanted, a, they wanted Clint Walker. You remember Clint Walker? We found a picture of that. Yeah, you remember Clint? Yeah, some of the older folks, you remember Clint Walker. Younger folks, you don't know who Clint Walker is. So that's why we got a picture up there for you. What's Clint Walker like? Handsome, sharp-looking dude. A head taller than everyone right? Wide shoulders, thick chest, right? Narrow waist, right? Yeah, Clint Walker taught. That's what they wanted. They wanted somebody like the nation's had. They wanted so badly to be like the world. Think about God's whole mission for Israel. God's desire for Israel, they not be like the world. That they be set apart. That they be distinct and different because they were his treasured possession offering hope and light to the nations. But the Israelites, they wanted to be worldly. They wanted to be like the nations. I and mean, we see New Testament teaching warred against this as well, doesn't it? Romans twelve two: Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't conform to the world, right? What is to be worldly? What does it mean to be worldly? We should guard against worldliness. How would you define that? Think about that just for a second. Because okay? the Israelites, they wanted to be like the world. They wanted to be worldly. I think worldliness is a, maybe define it this way, a system of values which makes sin look normal and righteousness seem strange. I mean, think about it in our own culture. We as believers, as the church, we're to guard against worldliness, not be like the world. We're to be distinct. We're to be different. We're to be set apart, much like Israel, right? Yeah, because we're the people of God. And we're told, James chapter 4, verse 4, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Titus chapter 2, renounce worldly passions. We're told over and over again, don't be worldly. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we're to guard against worldliness. The world makes sin look normal. and makes righteousness, righteous living seem strange. Pretty good, pretty good definition, I think. I mean, think about our own culture. Think about materialism. What's the scriptures teach about being materialistic? Guard against those, right? Where wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So God warns us against materialism. But think about our culture. What's everybody want? Big house, new car? Don't mind debt. Want more, 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 right? More stuff. And guess what? That's the norm in our culture. To live in a really small house and have just a regular old car, that's kind of against the norm. Why do you have such a small house? Yeah. Worldliness. Think about the the trans genderism and homosexuality it's this behavior it used to really bother us right shock us and make us uncomfortable and now guess what happens is people talk about that and you see it more and more you just become it's become a part of our culture yeah that's normal living no it's not normal but that's what the world teaches us it's normal and to oppose those things seems strange. Why would you you oppose that? It's everyone's choice, right? Yeah. But the church is to be set apart, right, to guard against materialism. Israel is supposed to guard against worldliness, but what are they saying? They say, no, we want to be like the world. Look at verse 10 through 18. They're warned. So Samuel warns them what it's going to be like to have this worldly king rule over you. And what I want you to do is listen for the common phrase here. What's repeated. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and And the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards. And give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards. And give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants. And the best of your young men and your donkeys. And put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks. And you shall be his slaves. And in the day you will cry out because of your king. Whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So what's the common phrase? Hey, yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you're a young man who's going to take over your, your, your crops and, and take care of your farm. He won't take care of your farm. He's going to be drafted, put into the king's army. Your daughters, you've got pledged to be married. No, they're not going to be married to him and him and him. No, they're going to be put over here and they're going to be working for the king this handsome, powerful king that you desire is going to take, 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 take. So God warns them. And that's in opposition to what God does. What does God do? Give and give and give and give. You want to take her? Okay. Look at verse 18. Verse 19 through 22. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. Now, voice of Samuel, remember, he's a prophet. He's speaking God's word. And so when you Refuse the words of Samuel, you're opposing the Lord. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations. There it is again, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all these words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man, to his city. Be careful about demanding something that will ultimately be destructive to your life. God just may give it to you so what did God do? He gave them what they wanted. And Hosea, looking back on this, Hosea 13, 11, Hosea says, I gave you a king in my anger and I took him away in my wrath. Yeah, the Lord warned them and they said, no, no, that's what we want. Yeah, I know you're saying he's going to take, 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 but I want, we really want that. Even though it's not for our, our good, but we really want it. Because they thought it was for their good, right? Heart is deceptive above all things. They can't see it. They want a king, a Clint Walker of a man, to lead them, just like all the other nations do, a powerful man, who's mighty and handsome, will represent us well, will make us look good among the nations. They've rejected God, and they want worldliness. Isn't it interesting, Israel, throughout their history up to this point, Anytime they go to battle without the Lord, what happens? They lose. Without God, no one is safe. You know that? Without the Lord, no one's safe. Are you safe this morning? Israel's not safe. They reject the Lord. They want a a worldly man to lead them. And so God gives them what they desire. The worldliness of Israel is they reject God as king. And second point. I want to make today is to notice the providence of God in the anointing of Saul, Israel's first king. Chapter 9. Saul's going to go from being a worker in Benjamin to be, being king in Israel. And in, in this story, in this chapter, we'll see God's hand guiding and directing everything. Let's read the first few verses. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zerar, son of Becharath, son of Abiah, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. Now, What do you find interesting about the the first king of Israel? Remember I I mentioned before in Genesis 49 is Jacob's blessing Judah. What does he say? He says the the, the scepter, right, what a king holds, will never depart from Judah. And guess what? Saul's not from Judah. He's a Benjamite. Problem number one, right? This dynasty is not going to last. We know that from the very get-go. And and Saul's name, you might as well call him, uh, you get what you ask for right? That's what his name means in Hebrew, maybe. <laughs> you get what you ask for. That's what you want. You want a, a, a Clint Walker of a man. He's not my man, but he's your man, okay? You're going you're to get him. Saul was physically impressive. He was a head taller than everyone else. And the story goes on, we don't have time to read all of this, but the story goes on to say that Kish, he had a lot of donkeys and his donkeys, they wandered away. And so Kish sent his son Saul to go find the donkeys. And so he's wandering to and fro, looking for the donkeys. It just so happens they wander off and they're near Samuel's home. It just so happens that the servant of Saul who's with him, knew of Samuel had heard of the prophet and suggests they go see Samuel, the seer, to find out if he could tell them where the donkeys were. And it just so happens that that day the prophet, Samuel, is having a meal with all the elders of the city. By coincidence, they're going to a high place to offer a sacrifice and have a meal. And so they go to the city and look at verse 14 of chapter 9, page 274 of your pew Bible. Moving rather quickly. So they went up. This is Saul and his servant. They're looking for donkeys, right? So they went up to the city, and as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. It's just by happenstance, right? By coincidence, right? Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. You shall save my peop- He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who restrained my people. Notice how God providentially gets Saul to Samuel. It just so happens. It just so happens, it just so happens. And so he goes and he meets Samuel he spends some time with Samuel, and he eats there with the elders of the city. And it's interesting. It seems it as if this man, Saul, is just like a pawn in God's hand. And that's what we're supposed to think. We see God providentially, sovereignly moving this man to and fro here and there. And oh, by the way, if you see verse 20, by this time when he sees Samuel, his donkeys, guess what? They found their way back home. You see how God providentially led those donkeys around back home. And now Saul is with Samuel. Look at chapter 9, verse 27. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, they're about to leave. Tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? Israel. And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you shall save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you'll meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin. And they shall say to you, the donkeys that you went to, that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up, to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. And after you shall come to Gibbeth Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Kind of specific, isn't he? Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them. And And be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds you to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. So Samuel anointed Saul with oil. Anointing him king of Israel. Now, he's going to have an inauguration party later. But we often, in our vocabulary, we often say, you know, by coincidence, it just so happens. We use the word fluke and luck and by chance. But we don't use those words as believers. We call it the providence of God. You remember those two cows from last week? They had calves taken from them and they're taking the Ark of the Covenant. And typically when a cow has a calf taken from them, what will it do? It'll go searching for that calf. But what happened to those cows? Just had a calf removed from them. Two cows hooked up to a cart with the Ark of the Covenant in the cart. And what happens? They go straight back to Israel. By coincidence? Just a fluke. No, the the same God who directed those cows back to Israel is the same God who providentially caused those donkeys to wander and to bring Saul to Samuel. What about your life? Do you recognize the providence of God in your life? Some of you right now are going through trouble in your marriage. Some of you are with your children. You're having difficulty. Some of you haven't grown children you're having difficulty with. Those are terrible, hard, difficult things to go through. Are those things happen just by coincidence, by happenstance, by luck, by fate? Or could it be that the Lord providentially has brought those difficulties in your life to grow you up and to make you like Him, to make you depend on Him, cause you to draw near to Him, cry out to Him? See the providence of God as he brings Saul to Samuel, who's anointed king of Israel. And third thing, lastly, let's just notice the goodness of God. Chapters 10, verse 9 through 11, 15, real quickly. Verse 9, we read in chapter 10 that God gave Saul another heart. And the result is that this man, this man Saul, who didn't know the law, he didn't know Samuel the prophet, he didn't walk with God. We're going to see him do some God-honoring things. And in and and Saul, we see some things about his character. We see little, maybe you call them little uh, little holes uh, in the fabric. You know, you have a piece of fat, fabric uh, and, and you have a pull there. What do, you, what do your mom tell you always not to do? Don't pull it, right? But we all, boys, we always pull it and you end up with a big hole. But that's what's going to happen with Saul. We see there's little little pulls in the fabric. And soon, those, the whole thing's going to come unraveled. But what we see in this, this text today, we see the goodness of God in Saul's life. He didn't know Samuel. He didn't draw near the Lord. He didn't pray. He wasn't a God-honoring fella. But we see God being really gracious to Saul. When Saul returned home, his uncle asked him about where he had been. And he said, Well, I've been looking for the donkeys, right? But he didn't tell him what had happened with Samuel. Look at verse 17. 17 of chapter 10. Now Samuel called the people together and he said to the people of Israel, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God. Samuel, the prophet, speaking the words of God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And so what happens is all the tribes come before, and and the tribe of Benjamin is chosen, the clans are chosen, and finally Saul is chosen. And then Samuel, verse 25, told the people the rights and duties of the kingship. And he wrote them in a book and laid them up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away to his own home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went, meant, went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But look at verse 27 of chapter 10. But some worthless fellows, you always have some worthless folks laying around, don't you? <laughs> There's always a, Worthless folks are always in abundance for some reason. What would they say? How can this man save us? They're opposing Saul. Now Saul is the king, right? Notice it says, and they despised him and brought him no present." Everybody else was honoring him. He's the king. I mean, it's Clint Walker, for goodness sakes. Everybody's honoring him and bringing him presents, saying, man, this is awesome. We've got a king. But there's some worthless fellas. They despised him, and they brought him no presents. But but notice what it says there in verse 27. I think it's really significant. But he held his peace. Why is that? Well, back up to verse 9, because God had given him another heart. And it's really interesting. Does this, what does that mean exactly? I'm not really sure. It's a difficult thing here, but I just know that God was doing a work in his life. And because of that, what's he able to do? He's able to keep his peace. He could have punished the fellows, but he didn't. That's Christ-like, isn't it? He's merciful. Very merciful. In chapter 11, the Ammonites, they capture a, a city, Jabesh, and The leader of the Ammonites, Nahash, said, you know, you can surrender. I won't kill all of you. You can surrender. But this is what I'm going to do. To humiliate you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take every man I'm going to gouge out his right eye. So they're all up in arms and they don't know what they're going to do because if they fight, they're going to be killed. And if they don't, they're going to have the right eye gouged out. Not very good options, are there? And so word gets back to Saul as he sees all the people weeping. He says, he asks them what's happened. In chapter 11, verse 6, notice what happens. Verse 5 and 6, now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, what is wrong with the people that they're weeping? And so they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And look at verse 6, and the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. And The Spirit of God came upon him. He's been given this another heart. We've already seen him not give what the punishment that other people deserve, he's merciful. And what do we see here? The spirit rushing upon them. And you know what he did? He he led the, the Israelites to victory over the Ammonites. Look at, look at verse 12 through 15, and I'll conclude. So he led them to victory. And then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? These are some other people that are opposing Saul. Bring that man, bring the, the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. The Lord's given us victory. Notice Saul. Wow. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel greatly rejoiced. Notice Saul again. He being the king, he could have punished these men, but what does he do? He's merciful. Yeah, isn't it? Like Jesus, isn't it? Yeah, a very God-honoring thing to do. And we see that even in the life of Saul, the goodness of God. I want to ask you, do you see the goodness of God in your life? Do you see the goodness of God? Do you recognize the goodness of God in your life? Believer, do you, do you recognize? Do you understand that apart from God's grace, you'll never persevere in your faith? But yet, God commands us to persevere. Who goes to heaven? There's a lot of right answers to this question. Who goes to heaven? Those who persevere in their faith. Well, you know what? Unless God gives us grace, we're never going to persevere in our faith. You know that? We'll all go wayward. You recognize God's goodness in your life? Well, I'm so thankful for God being good to me. I'm able to pastor this church. But you know what? If it wasn't for God's grace, I wouldn't have a testimony. You know, that's a characteristic or a qualification for an elder. They have a good reputation with outsiders. But you know what? I know without God's grace, I would never have a good reputation at all. It's by God's grace that I could even lead a, a, a church and shepherd a group of people. Because God's been so good to me. You recognize God's goodness in your life? Believer, do you recognize God's goodness in your life? Are you thankful for how good he's been to you? Secondly, do you recognize the providence of God in your life? Some of you have been through hard times. Some of you, you've, you've suffered because of your own sin. You suffer the consequences of your own sin. Every day, your life is harder than it need be because of your own sin. But some of us here, we're man, we, we suffer because someone else's sin. The wayward husband or the wayward wife or the wayward child or the terrible boss. But you know, for me, it, when I think about difficulties and in, in, in troubles I've, I've gone through, man, I, I can look back and say, wow, God, look at what you were doing all along to make me like you. There was a, an example of that, the providence of God, teammates of ours. When we were in China. They had a child who was sick, and she began to have to seize and have seizures. And we'd put her in the in the shower and turn the shower on, and we would walk her at, at night in the coolest of the day. And I remember, times she was just praying and just praying for daylight so we could get her some medical help. And we didn't have medical help in our city. They had to go about thirteen hours away. And, and so this family had to take their daughter. We spent the whole night with this this with this little girl, praying, God, keep her safe till morning. We we're there, and we couldn't go anywhere. Oh, it was just it was hard. And daylight came, and they took this girl to, to a city about 13 hours away, and they saw a... a a foreign-trained doctor that could find out what's going on, and they figured out what was going on with this girl, why she's having these seizures. And and eventually, you know, days later, they were returned to our city, and they had this astronomical bill, medical bill, and they weren't with the, the International Mission Board who covers our medical costs. They were independent. They came with us. They sold everything they have in America. They come to China, and they serve faithfully. They had this big old bill. It was crazy. You know, the amount of money they had to pay. And he's like, man, I don't know what we're going to do. And, before, and they, no one knew about their medical bill. And by the time they get back home, he's looking at his bank account, just kind of brainstorming how he's going to pay for this, da, da 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 And the exact figure that they needed, the exact dollar amount they needed, was, had been transferred to their bank account. And it was some odd number. No one knew. No one knew. And he says, wow, my daughter was sick and we prayed all night. And it was so hard, thinking your, your little girl's not going to make it or something's bad wrong with her. And he says, wow. But look what the Lord has done. How our faith has been increased because of this event. The providence of God. He says, man, I wouldn't trade that now for anything in the world. I learned such an incredible lesson about God and who he is and his love for us and his goodness. He the providence of God. Maybe you you recognize the providence of God in your life, difficulties and hardships and how God has used that in your life to draw you to himself. Thirdly, by way of application, the Israelites rejected. They rejected God because they wanted to, They wanted a king that could make them look good among the nations. Think about our our lives here after the cross, and we live under the new covenant and new testament after the the, the resurrection of Jesus, and so we, we say we live we're new covenant believers. What about us? We reject God. We reject them if we've yet to repent and trust Christ as Savior and Lord. And you remember I told you, when you reject God, without God, no one's safe? You know that's true? Without God, you are not safe. Because God is a loving, merciful God, and he's good, like we've talked about. He was so good to Saul, and he's been so good to us. But God is also just. Without God, you're not safe. Because God, one day, when we breathe our last, He's going to punish sinners. We'll be separated from the Lord for all eternity. Because of our sin, we're separated from the Lord. After we breathe our last, we'll be cast into outer darkness and hell where God for all eternity will pour out His wrath upon us because that's what we deserve. Without God, we're not safe. And what we must do is we must repent of our sin and we must trust Christ's work on the cross as our own. Have you done that? Have you turned from your life of sin and living for yourself and living for your own glory and if you turned and began to follow the Lord forsaking your old ways and are you trusting Christ's work on the cross as your own? Are you trusting that Jesus died and that he rose from the dead for you. And the Bible says if we do that, that we'll be forgiven for our sin and our, our, our relationship with God, will, we, can be, we can be reconciled to this God who made all things and who gives us life and gives us grace every day. We can be reconciled to this God who is just, who will one day pour out His wrath upon sinners. Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted Christ? I hope so. But if not, I want to encourage you today by way of application, I want to encourage you to repent. Compel you to repent. Turn from your sin. Without God, no one's safe. And God, who is a just, righteous God, in His mercy, and His love, We'll bring you into his family. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.